Welcome to the 13th episode of the Quilting Stories podcast. Stay tuned for our interview with quilter Diane Westbizer. And I just wanted to make a quick note about our release schedule. The Quilting Stories podcast was a project that we started in the pandemic. And due to Elaine, my co-host, and I's schedules, the release of the episodes has been somewhat haphazard. But we plan to do a lot more episodes, so if you enjoy this podcast, I would just suggest that you subscribe in your favorite podcast app, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, and just subscribe to our feed. And we may not be weekly, but you will get our latest episodes when they release. So stay tuned for our interview with Diane Westbizer. Thanks. Welcome back to the Quilting Stories podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford, and you can find me on Instagram at Jeff Rutherford. And my co-host is Elaine Poplin, a quilter from Huntsville, Alabama. And you can find her on Instagram at Messy Goat. And our guest today is Diane Westbizer. She is at Diane Westbizer on Instagram. And Diane is a quilter from Pittsville, Massachusetts. She's a member of the Northampton Modern Quilt Guild. Diane has had several quilts chosen for the Modern Quilt Guild's QuiltCon show in previous years. And this past QuiltCon, one of Diane's quilts was in the show, as well as featured in the QuiltCon magazine. And Diane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Sure. Well, how would you describe the quilts that you currently make? I think they're falling into two categories now. There are modern quilts, which are uh, modern traditional. So I really like taking a traditional block and enlarging it and playing with the components and rearranging it to be bold and graphic and in solids. And then this past probably a couple of years, I've been playing around with doing more improv quilting and that's coming along. I took some really great classes over the pandemic on Zoom and was really excited to learn some new techniques. So I've been really working hard on that lately. That's great. Well, how, I noticed that actually in some of your pieces, the improvisational log cabin that you did really speaks to me. I do a lot of that play myself. And then you had one that was like you subtracted parts of a right. very traditional block. And I love that. I like that effect. Very much so. Do you think about the quilting as you're going or does it, how it will be quilted together when it's sandwiched later? Or do you just make whatever speaks to you in that given moment? I like to play around with the graphic design first. As a matter of fact, right before we started this interview, I have those old fashioned acetates. I was a teacher before I retired and we used to have acetates that you'd write on and project back in the day, pre-projectors and whatnot. And I use those on, on top of a printout of what the quilt is. So I often don't know how I'm going to quilt it. Sometimes I have a rough idea. But it's probably the hardest part for the modern traditional quilts to figure out how to quilt them. That's fair. So how yeah. did you get started sewing and quilting? I, when I was in middle school, or it was called junior high school, everybody had to learn to sew in seventh grade. And I really loved it. And I, I did take a few sewing classes in high school. And I have a grandmother who quilted a lot 
but mostly scrap quilting and nothing they're special to me, but she didn't really follow pattern. She liked a three and a half inch block of whatever fabric she could get and she'd mix them up and they'd be bold and graphic, but she didn't teach me how to sew. So fast forward, I had a couple of children and I bought a house with my husband and I wanted to put antique quilts on their beds. And I went to a quilt show at Herman Melville's home in Pittsfield and they were selling the quilts and this would have been early eighties and they were three and $400, which was absolutely outrageous. And I was complaining to my mother who said, Oh, you could just make up yourself. So that's when I really started quilting a lot. And, and then over the years I worked at a big high school and anytime anybody would have a baby, I'd try to make a baby quilt and it, allowed me to improve my skills, try new things, and then just watch the reaction. So it was really a lot of years of practicing in that manner before I retired. Very cool. As a teacher myself, that speaks to me as well. Sorry, Jeff, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say when you first got interested in the early 80s after you saw those that were priced so high, did you take a class in person or did you try to learn from a book? Oh, no. I just dove right in. I I got a book by, I think her name was Hopkins. It's okay to sit on my quilt. Yep. So I was making them right before rotary quilters and mats and whatnot. The the first quilt I actually made was in 1980, and it was with the cardboard cutout and tracing and all the rest of that. I'm lucky. I actually live in Lee, not Pitts. I worked in Pittsfield, but I live in Lee. And there's a very small quilt shop in town, and I'd stop in there, and Dan and Sue Sullivan are the proprietors, and they would give me hints, and they would direct me. Dan really pushed me about quilting my own quilts. So I used to do them on a domestic, and now I have a long arm. It's much easier. Very definitely. What kind of long arm do you have? I have a Bernina Q24. Very nice. Yeah, I I am spoiled in that way. This is another like hangover from, I worked at a big public school system. And if you didn't use your personal days and your sick days, they'd buy them out from you when you retired. And I didn't use my personal days or sick days. My husband's in healthcare. So if one of our three kids were sick, he would just take them to the office. So that payout was a big down payment on my Bernina. Long on. <laughs> so that that kind of got me good ways toward purchasing it. So I feel really fortunate. And new teachers told me they don't do that anymore. I'm like, <laughs> no, they don't. I get it. I get it. The school system was like, we're not going to buy any more long arms for anyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was a way they weren't paying for subs. I was always there. I don't know if you can tell by the content. I see it coming out in my improv, but I was a science teacher. I was a biology, environmental science teacher. And I find that when I'm doing the improv, almost all of it's based on nature. It, I, I see it coming out in myself, so it's interesting. You can't shake it out of you. I understand that. I have a degree in biology, and I teach math. Shine through, very definitely. Yep. Yep, that will do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't. But then again, math and science and art are married anyway, so why fight it? I think so. And I I think the best teachers are the most creative ones. So So, I think so. (laughs) Yeah. 
the ability to respond to the unknown, the ability to work within limitations. There's some really common themes. So when I take these courses on improv and people feel like they have to plan every step of the way, I just think, gosh, that never would, we try to plan, but it never would exactly work out the way you thought it might, um, teaching a lesson. And I find the same thing happens with my quilting. Even the ones that the modern traditional ones that are more planned, I'm never quite sure how they're going to look in the end. So no, you have an idea, but there are always surprises. And that's, I guess, why quilting continues to appeal to me 40 years later. Absolutely. You um, mentioned earlier about enlarging a uh, traditional block and playing around with it. Do you do that yeah. in EQ? And can yes. you talk about how you use it? Sometimes I have an idea. So th- this year, I don't know if anyone will be able to see it. I don't know what's going to happen with these quilts. But I've been doing a series of quilts that are mostly enlarged drunkard's path, quarter, circle, but they're large. They're 12 inches, 14 inches. And in EQ, you can make blocks up to 100 inches or more. So that's not an issue. It's really easy. But what I've been doing is, it's hard to describe. I call it squeeze. So they're patterns where I'm imagining a force entering from the left and the right side of the quilt. And in the middle, the pattern squeezes. So I elongate that drunkard's path and it becomes an oval. The, the squares become diamonds. I have no idea why I'm doing this, but I have, I think I've made four or five now this year since last November. Uh, but I might be on my last one. I don't know. I got one more lined up to go. But are, in, are they in your Instagram? No. Okay. Wait a minute. Let me think. No, I don't think so. I'm really lousy about sharing. I, sometimes I feel more confident to do that. Let me just check a second. I just, Sometimes you just get an idea and go with it. But sometimes I also, unless, if I know that I want to try to get it in QuiltCon, I'm not always sure that I should be posting it in Instagram first. Oh, yeah, there is one. If you're looking at my Instagram, there's one with a white and blue checkered background, and that has half circles and half ovals. That's one in the series. That's the only one I've posted because I liked how it was quilted. So, If you look at the checkered background, it starts at squares on the left and the right side. And by the time you get to the center of the quilt, they're rectangles, tall rectangles. And the same phenomenon happens with the half circles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Have you played with the Fibonacci sequence with this at all? Pardon? Have you played with the Fibonacci sequence for this concept at all? No, but I am very familiar with it and I I have thought about it, but I feel like it's been done. So I I wanted to just, this is a whole series called Squeeze and yeah, there's no other one there, but that's basically what I'm doing. The one I'm working on right now is takeoff on the traditional medallion quilts, except there are half circles on the side. And then the circle becomes this lopsided half circle, half oval. And then the middle row is all ovals. And they are, I think they're 14 inch blocks and interspersed are diamonds. So I don't know. I I don't know why they just, I love, I always loved Drunkard's Path. I've done that for a long time and I do working with curves a lot. So Mm -hmm. I guess it's not that far fetched that, 
for some reason, I don't know, I just have been fascinated with this whole idea of squeezing or compression. What um, it does to it, yeah. So what inspires a new quilt for you? Do you say that this one has come to you? Was there any particular event or something you saw that made it made this series jump into your head right That's away? That's a great question. I don't always know. I I have worked really hard, not this year as much, but prior with the prior federal administration, not to be on social media and not to be checking the news. And so I sit and play with EQ8 instead of checking what's online, which is easy to do and easy to get upset about stuff. I just start playing with ideas and seeing what would things look like if I distort the block. And it's really easy to distort blocks in EQ8. So you can take a regular uh, log cabin block and literally just change the parameters. If it's normally a six by six block, I can make it six by 12 or I can change whatever way I want. And that's all there is. I'm not redrawing them. I'm, I'm really distorting them. And I really like that. I don't know what they would say at EQ8, but that's how, that's how I use the program. And I, I just have fun with it. Pardon? Yeah. I think any computer programming company would be very excited to see people do exciting different things that they didn't think of. I would. Right. As a programmer, I think it was cool. And the, the uh, Q8 program also is really amendable to unusual layouts. So it's easy to change the grid size if you're using a grid, and they have a, a function where you don't have to have a grid at all. And you can put various sizes in. And there's been some workshops when we met at QuiltCon that were really helpful in getting those basics down and then deciding where to go with it. So are there fabric colors that you often gravitate to? Uh, the brighter, the better. Usually the brighter, the better. I love orange, pinks, reds. But the backgrounds, I don't know, neutral. I, I'm not too picky, but I do like bright colors. So I think that's about it. So how do you choose a color scheme? I opened my closet door lately first. <laughs> that I, <see. laughs> I I. I'm in my mid-60s, and I read something about if I were to purchase no fabric from today and say I live another 20 years, would there be stuff left in the closet? And the answer, unfortunately, is yes right now. So I've been working really hard, but I ha I fall off the wagon periodically and uh, have to stop in someplace. Uh, but I do use what I, I've accumulated over the years, so... A friend of my mom's was a very well-known quilter internationally, and she got to the point where she stopped buying fabric. And after a while, her quilts all looked the same yeah. because she was using all of these fabrics that she was tired of. And so her light went out. So it was, it was really interesting to watch that and realize, you know what? I'm not going to make that rule for myself. I'll, I'll use what I can, but I don't want people to go, well, yeah, her stuff always looks really drab now because she's using the fabric back from 2021. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, I hope that doesn't happen to me. It was an interesting lesson. It is a great lesson, and it is a very big um, closet. I did request for Mother's Day hand-dyed fabrics from Minnesota. What's that company? Cherry Woods. Yep. Yes. 
my family, and I wanted to see what colors they'd pick out. So that was a fun look. I'll get some new fabric colors and new whatever. Too, you like what you like. And yes. I'm, I'm not sure that's going to change that much at this point. I don't know. And, and I do fall off the wagon. Oh, what I find I'm doing, since I'm using more solids than ever, is I'm piecing my backs with really fun, pretty things that I probably won't be using in a regular quilt. That's a way to use up some of the yardage uh, and feel good about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So what quilt classes did you take during the pandemic? You referenced taking oh, some improv classes. I've done the block of the month with Sheila Frompton Cooper, and I took it to learn technique. And I I really think my technique improved. Part of it is the skinny lines, but then my second workshop that I took just recently was with Irene Roderick from Austin, Texas. And then things really exploded. She's an awesome teacher. So is Sheila. But it was a different kind of class. And then the third one I did take with QuiltCon was with Maria Schell. And that was, again, another really enlightening, freeing. Here's how to do it. Just cut the fabric. Don't worry about it. Here, She has a formula for picking your fabrics that works really well. So many lights, so many neutrals so many brights um and these colorways so that really helped too but those three were all outstanding yes and they're waiting lists for those three teachers for a reason because they are so good yeah that yes. they're excellent teachers and that's that is an issue being a teacher that you will forever have is that when you take a workshop you can tell people who are good teachers. And there's certain things. They spell out what to expect. They are right there with answers for your questions. They wrap things up at the end. They just, they're good teachers. I've enjoyed those a lot this year. You said you have a, a Bernina. Do you quilt all of your quilts yourself or do you send some out or what? how do you handle that? I, I quilt all of them. So there are some, the ones that that don't come out the way I like, I give to my kids. <laughs> uh, last year we had over the holidays, I had a big pile of things and they all could take whatever they want. And then I have a pile for donation and from my mom was one of six. My dad was one of five. I'm one of four. We have a big family. So inevitably somebody walks home uh, with a quilt. The last couple of years, I've also been doing a family donation quilt. And the way that works is I make something for the holidays. Last year, I did a big snowflake. I forget whose pattern it was, but it was really a lot of fun to do. And then I I sell tickets to my family. I shamed them into buying these $25 tickets. And then we raffle. You get to buy a ticket and you get to tell me what your favorite charity is. And we have a draw for the quilt and a draw for the charity. And we raised close to $500. So I feel good about it. And we have a lot of fun. They like to tease me. I send them at Thanksgiving, I send out pictures of what they're bidding on. And then I shake them down. So <laughs> I love that. That's a, that's a good idea. Oh, it's really a lot of fun. And it's a good reminder for all of us. You know, we have plenty. We should do this. Everybody gets really anxious about Who's going to win this year? What charity? Who gets the quilt and what's the charity? I can't, I can't remember last year's charity, but the year before, one of my sons is a computer programmer in Boston, and he's 
very adamant about keeping the internet commercial free, like big companies shouldn't be able to buy faster internet time. And there's actually a, a nonprofit agency that's doing lobbying work for this to keep the internet available to everybody at the same speed. And so his, his donation got selected and he got a free hoodie and he thought that was so much better than the quilt that year anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, give it back. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that. That is fun to do with the quilts. I've also donated them to some some local concerns. When I'm trying to think of the name of the organization came, Tiny Pricks was in West Dockbridge. I had donated a quilt to that to help raise money to get her there. So that's that cool. was that was good too. We did well with that. Yeah, I I donated one recently to a initiative locally to get. Democratic candidates here in the Deep South. Oh, that's excellent. And my my little piece of it raised like $175, but they raised over $28,000 in a weekend. Wow. Were they all quilts being raffled? Or? Oh, no. Mm-mm. No, I think there were uh, a couple little things. I didn't donate an entire quilt because I wasn't sure how it was going to go. And people bid $40 for a quilt, especially down here. Ooh. And no. Yeah, that's hard. That's that's <laughs> hard to see a piece go for that. Yeah. So I offered a table runner and it went for 175. I was okay with that. Yeah, that's excellent. That is excellent. I the Berkshires are pretty liberal when it comes to art. I feel like I've been included in art shows at the Colonial Theater and people have bought quilts right off the walls there. And we have a local coffee shop crepery um, in downtown Lee. And unfortunately, my buds were during the pandemic, but I had an art show, these modern quilts. It wasn't even the improv. It was the big graphic things, and they really loved it. And they hung there over the holidays, but nobody was in the shop. But that's okay. I know that I can do that again. So if you were talking with someone who's intrigued by quilting, but maybe a little intimidated to get started, what advice would you offer them? I'm a dive right in kind of person. I tell them to find, we have Pinterest now, which is awesome. So if they even just Googled a simple geometric quilt, I would help them do it. I would tell them to dive in because you have to like what you're making. I tell them just to try, especially if they have any sewing experience. If they learned in seventh grade or they watch their grandmother or they just are willing to learn. I think that's the way to go. Um, Find something relatively simple that looks interesting. So triangles, squares, rectangles would be a great one to play with color. That's not difficult. So I I tell them stick with a geometric and go right for it. Find find a nice shop and buy some fat quarters and they'll be hooked. Yeah, exactly. So do you have a favorite quilt that you've made? Always the last one I just worked on. The classic answer. It is. Probably five years ago, I did a week-long workshop with Sherry Lynn Wood, and though I created a quilt there and a quilt improv. I think that was my first improv class. I created one afterward that I never put in a show, never tried, and that one hangs over my bed. And that's one of my favorite quilts. It's bright. It's colorful. It is. I'm trying to see if I can describe it. It's using large bias cut curves to create 
like a big center object. I'm not doing a very good job, but anyway, I really love that one. And I hand quilted it with pearl cotton. And I like that a lot. So did you use scissors and not rotary cutters for that one, since that's Sherry Lynn Wood's approach? You can use a rotary cutter. The thing you cannot use with Sherry Lynn ever, now I guess she's softened up. If she catches your ruler, <laughs> she'll break it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so at the workshop at Quilting by the Lake, there was a, a person who's become a pretty close friend from California, Betty, if you're listening. And she would wait until Sherry Lynn took a bio break, and she would whip out her ruler, and we would all laugh. But, yeah, at the time, that was her bias, was try not to and – if you practice enough, you'll be able to do it. You know, especially people who've quilted for a long time, what an inch is, what two inches is. Maria Shell talked about this. Use your ruler if you have to, but really it's more interesting if you don't. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that too. But sometimes I just need it. I need the straight edge. But So are there quilters that have inspired you along the way? Along your My grandmother to start with. Just she quilted every day. She gave everything away. She used what she had. She just was really special. So she, by far, was probably the biggest influence. So I'm one of 18 grandchildren in my generation, and each one of us received a quilt when we were probably about five or six. And I still have mine. I actually worked on it last year and had to replace some of the fabrics and she was using World War II surplus wool blankets for her batting and then tied them. Oh, wow. So I had to retie some of that. And, um, and then I've been really lucky. I've taken classes with some wonderful quilters. Probably most inspiring is Sherry Lynn. She has a way, if you take an extended class, I don't know if she's doing this on her Zoom classes, but she would do centering exercises before you start. She would also have quiet periods for the first whatever amount of time that you're working. She had some really good mindful activities along with very creative work. And again, that whole idea of reusing things. And I like it. I, I don't do enough of it, but I admire it. Same. Yeah, it's hard. It is. I, I did do a denim quilt this winter and the thing was so heavy and I actually I put some fabric on the background and that for the backing rather and then I bought a scotch guard so we're hoping to use it tanglewood this summer so we'll see if the scotch guard helps the fabric be a little water resistant wow so what sewing machine do you use in light of the fact that you have an entirely made of denim quilt? Did you have to use oh, a machine for that? I'm, I'm a Bernina girl all the way. I have a Bernina <laughs> 770. <laughs> yeah. And that's my, uh, I'm trying to think, that's my third Bernina. And the, re- the reason I started was this pumpkin patch, the uh, quilt store in town is a, is a Bernina dealer. And so when I moved here, I was, I'm trying to think how old, 29. And I had the same sewing machine I learned how to sew on when I was in seventh grade. So it was time to upgrade. And so I just went to the local sewing store, the quilt store, 
And Dan Sullivan said, this is the machine you have to have. So that's what I've always had was Bernina. And I've been really happy with them. I, I have no complaints at all. Yeah, they are so nice. So. And what's the one that you're using now? I didn't catch it. it. It's the 770. Got it. And I use Gloversville. It's before Valley Fabrics reopened in our area. And I think she's going to be a Bernina dealer. So for me, I think it takes me about an hour and a half to get to Gloversville, New York. And they've been wonderful. That's who I bought the long arm from. And they're really a great dealer. I think he's the biggest Bernina dealer in the Northeast. Actually, it's he has quite a range. So do you have any favorite rulers or notions that you use? I like... What do I have? I used I usually use just Omnigrid rulers, and I used to use larger Omnigrid rulers that were like 18 inches by 6 inches until a couple of years ago when I sliced the tip of my finger off. Because, you know, if they're too big and you're holding your left hand down and not thinking what you're doing, um, the, ruler, the ruler sometimes wiggles. So lately I've been using a 4 by 14 inch ruler. And I like that a lot. And I also switched from a large diameter uh, rotary cutter to a smaller 28 millimeter one. And I like that a lot too. And it's just an Ulfa small cutter. So I don't know. I just think they're a little safer. I do a lot of quilting at night. So I think that after nine o'clock when I'm working, I shouldn't be cutting fabric. Nothing <laughs> good comes from that. So I can do hand stitching, but um, using the rotary cutter later on is how that accident happened. And it was nasty. It was just, it was really awful. And I still can feel where it healed. It feels different. My fingertip feels. I can relate to that. I, I didn't know. cut off the, I can't, I didn't cut off the tip of my finger, but I had seven stitches and it's still, it's there every day, every time I touch my finger. And that's why I switched to the smaller. I just, it's okay. I used to be able to freely cut six to eight layers of fabric. I never thought twice about it, but I don't do that anymore. It's just not worth it. Plus I'm making those bigger blocks. So so there's a little bit less cutting. And what happens on EQ8 is when I go, you can choose what the printout's going to be. So if I am printing out templates for these large circles or whatnot, I end up with a paper pattern. And often I'll trace those and then hand cut them out. And they're more accurate for me than trying to do it with the ruler. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at a pattern right now that's in metric and trying to figure out how to cut that. And I think I'm just going to go with what you said with tracing it and cutting it by hand and then just go with it. And not worry. Yeah. Because otherwise I'm going to drive myself crazy with yes. you know the math teacher that I am. I know that I would, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong here. I would calculate <laughs> it out to the... 32nd of an inch and then be mad when I'm, no, yeah, no, it's just yeah. not working. <laughs> no, I agree. And since I, depending on how many blocks you're doing and whatnot, I just mellow out with it and do it. And the quilt that I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to quilt it, I think I'm going to take those paper templates and use them to trace a design onto the quilt so that when I bring it to the long arm, it will be like a ghost image. 
that will work out really nicely that I have those large paper cutouts. So that's what I, right now, that's what I'm playing around with, trying to extend the design into the negative space. So very cool. Where are you? We said that we could find you on Instagram at Diane Westpizer. Correct. And is there someone else we can find you or somewhere else we can find you yep. online? Yeah, not online in Lee, Massachusetts. <laughs> Here's my address. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know my, my 32-year-old daughter does marketing for a, a company, a small company, a small retail store in New York, and she's always pushing me to do more. I just... I don't know why. I'm not super comfortable always posting. I don't even post a lot on Facebook. I just, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you don't do it for that. And I understand that. Yeah. I understand that. It's for you. It's not necessarily for everybody else. So we're grateful that you spent the time to talk to us today because (laughs) this had to be a bit of a stretch. So you can tell your daughter, hey, look, look what I did. I know. I know. I really, I think that the, one of the biggest highlights uh, was having, I think there were 12 quilts hanging at this, this past winter. And that to me was such a thrill to see the work together. And they were some of the ones that were in the quilt con together because it was virtual. The real quilts were hanging downtown Lee. And what a difference. I couldn't even look at the quilt con online because I was like, ugh. It just is not, it's not as exciting Mm-mm. as the real quilt, the old fashioned. No, but but you, should, you should tell us what was the name of the quilt and if you could describe it, the quilt that was in the QuiltCon magazine that I mentioned. At the oh, top. and you know what? It's not on, uh, I'm looking, I'm scrolling through Instagram and it's called Fun with Fungi, F-U-N-G-I, Mushrooms. And what I did was I enlarged a New York Beauty block and elongated it so it was probably I don't know 14 by 10 and then I mirror imaged it so it made in my mind it made a large mushroom cap with the gills being the triangles part Mm -hmm. of the New York beauty and it had a, a neutral beige background which is not my favorite color but it worked on this quilt and then there were mostly each mushroom was uh, different earth tones and I quilted it, but I left the caps unquilted and then I used hand embroidery and created different patterns on the cap. So they had not photograph the full depth of what you did. I'm sure. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, my photograph was better. I had to mail that to Denver for a professional photograph. I've been using my phone for submissions, <laughs> and that's worked out fine. And my iPhone picture was better than the one in that magazine. That was a, not a high point. I was thrilled to be accepted, but the, it didn't photograph well at all. I think they overlit it. Yeah. You have to get side lit, especially when there's that much texture and... Right. The colors aren't going to be driving. The earth tones don't pop nope. as much. Nope. It's, it was, that was, I was really happy it made it there, but um, a little bit sad that it didn't photograph as well, actually, as my iPhone did. And that had to be sent there. And <laughs> I was like, okay, I wish you just use my picture. 
but that's that's money we won't see again. I did. I did. We there was a call that if you had quilts and quiltcon together, you could resubmit them for next year's uh, Phoenix quiltcon without reapplying. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because they know that those quilts, they look nice, but I'm sure there'll be a bigger wow in person. And that's the one I resubmitted. So let's hope it will be seen in person because it is a beautiful quilt. And I loved it. I loved how it came out. So That's great. Again, we've been speaking with quilter Diane Westbizer. As we said, you can find her online at Instagram at Diane Westbizer. And that's W-E-S-P-I-S-E-R. And Diane, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you. And it was really nice speaking with both of you. Have a good evening. Great. Thank you. And thanks, Elaine. Thank you, Jeff. Thank <laughs> you.